How could you want to raise children in a city like this? Well, I, I was raised here. I turned out okay. Is Wayne Manor in the city limits? Is, <laughs> the Palisades? Sure. You know, as our new DA, you might want to figure out uh, where your jurisdiction ends. I'm talking about the kind of city that idolizes a masked vigilante. Gotham City is proud of an ordinary citizen standing up for what's right. Gotham needs heroes like you, elected officials, not a man who thinks he is above exactly. the law. Exactly. Who appointed the Batman? We did. All of us who stood by and let scum take control of our city. But this is a democracy, Harvey. When their enemies were at the gates, the Romans would suspend democracy and appoint one man to protect the city. And it wasn't considered an honor, it was considered a public service. Harvey, the last man that they appointed to protect the Republic was named Caesar, and he never gave up his power. Okay, fine. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. the bashing of Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Dak Prescott right now is averaging 10.1 yards per completion. Okay. Zach Wilson, 10 yards. They are practically the same. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Ladies and gentlemen, the moment you've all been waiting for. Avengers! Welcome back. It's the Zero to 100 Podcast. I am your host, William C. Walker Jr. It's episode 109, Become the Villain. I chose that title, taking it from the great quote from Aaron Eckhart's character Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight, where he said, you either die the hero or live long enough to become the villain. And I just think it's time that this Cowboys team and the Cowboys fan base needs to go ahead and embrace it. I'm extremely happy to be posting an episode during the Cowboys bye week coming off of a 20-17 victory against the Los Angeles Chargers. This episode is going to be a little different since I wasn't able to link up with my usual cohorts. So it's just me. Uh, I'm going to be sharing my reaction to the Cowboys win, share my thoughts on the media's reaction to Michael Parsons' comments from his podcast, The Edge, some of uh, which you heard in the open. And when one of the analysts later this week <laughs> was making a, co- a comparison for Dak Prescott, uh, I felt like the Billy Madison clip couldn't be more uh, apt uh, in, a res- in terms of a response to lines that were spewed from the uh, so-called quote-unquote analyst. <laughs> so I'm also going to be bringing back the segment 
what I'm watching, uh, to talk about some of the shows that I just finished, or some of the ones that I'm currently watching. It's episode 109, Become the Villain. Let's go! You're listening to the Zero to 100 podcast. So it's just me tonight. Uh, going to be talking about my reaction to the Cowboys 20-17 victory over the Los Angeles Chargers. So, like I said in the last episode, actually I posted the last episode literally minutes before kickoff. And going into the game, like before the game, I was extremely confident. The Cowboys were 9-1 and one, um, coming off of a loss under Mike McCarthy. So I felt really good that they were going to bounce back from that awful, awful, embarrassing loss on Sunday night to the San Francisco 49ers. Um, it was just, I, you know, the excitement for that game, I was just so, ugh. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. You already know how I felt about that game. But going into this game, I was really confident that the Cowboys were going to bounce back. Um, I, In fact, honestly, I thought they were going to win comfortably. Um, and so, you know, the fact that it was a tight game, like the last time they played the Chargers two years ago, it was actually a 2017 victory as well, where they won it on the last uh, second field goal. Um, I didn't think it was honestly going to be that close, but I did get more nervous before the game only because the 49ers got upset by the Browns, the Eagles got upset by the Jets, and in typical fashion, usually when I'm really excited where Dallas is is set to have potential to to gain ground on a team that they're chasing, they, they oftentimes... You know, and I don't know how often it is, but you know, I haven't gone back to do the research to to see it. But I just feel like I remember them always losing those games because they didn't take advantage, or they didn't take advantage of the, the opportunity to gain ground or, or get distance from another team. And so that that's it's always frustrating to me. Um, so I was a little like I still felt like they were gonna win, but then I was just like, oh, yeah, watch they lose because of this. Um, the, the game overall, like going into it, I also had the mindset of, I was going to see who this Cowboys team was, like, what were they? Um, this was a good win. Like it was a good win just because to get beat the way they did versus the 49ers and the bye coming immediately after this game, you had the potential for this season to kind of get off the rails and, like I have been saying this to my to my uh, my friends, and I've been saying it to my brother Corey in terms of my hatred of fan bases and my hatred of quote unquote so called. I'm saying so called cowboy fans is because I can't believe that you're real fans of this team. Like I just can't. The way that you bash your own quarterback or you bash the team or you just automatically be pessimistic and to be so pessimistic about the team after week five was just incredibly frustrating to me so you had the potential of being on a two-game losing streak going into the bye which was not going to be great and you you really had the potential for this team to kind of go off the rails to me if that were to happen like if you were to get embarrassed like that by the 49ers, you already had to kind of have some question in your mind 
of thinking, well, wait, are we that good? Or, you know, what's what's the problem here? And then if you were to lose <clears throat> again going into the body, you would have had the whole time to think about it. And three and three is a big difference from four and two. Like, I know it doesn't seem like it's a big difference. I still was going to be locked in with this team, but I definitely wasn't going to be the feeling like, oh, man, we're going to get the division. Like, I just felt like, okay, they're going to be a wild card. So, they're going to be on the room again. Um, and it depends on who they get matched up with. Like, that that was going to be my mindset coming off of week six if they had lost that game. But it just meant a lot to me to see them respond. Like, even from the jump, like, to see the passion from these players, like, to get into, you know, Pre-game fights ain't nothing. Like, it's, it's not real. Like, f- football fights in general aren't <laughs> real in the first place because you all got pads and helmets on. It's like, it's not much you can actually physically do in terms of a fight um, before a game or even in the midst of a game when players scuffle. But it was it was good to see that, that p- passion. Like, nah, you ain't going to push us around. You, like, because... Because that's the thing that I needed to see. Like, I needed to see the Cowboys get punched in the face or get go down and then respond. And the way that game started, man, it was like offense gets the ball, immediately goes three and out, doesn't look great. You got two straight runs from McCarthy, play calling, and then there's a punt. And then it was a, you know, bad punt return. And next thing you know, the the Chargers score seven nothing, and you're like, oh great, like here we go. But they responded, and I just kind of like the fact that the game didn't start off well, and then they came back and responded. Um, it was it was just a resi- it was a resilient win, like that's the way I would describe it. Um, things that stood out for me from the game is six weeks in, and the Texas Coast offense or the West Coast offense is not quite right. Like, you know, the first game of the season, you blow out the Giants and you really didn't need much from the offense. But they were three from five in the red zone, which nobody seems to talk about. And they, like, you know, everyone highlight how bad the red zone is. But the first game of the season, it was three for five in the red zone. And they got three touchdowns and, um, you know, still put up points. So... That, that wasn't an issue to me. Um, I was happy about that. The Jets game, the offense was efficient, man. Like, that was, to me, by far, that is the best game the offense has played, the Jets game. And I know they struggled in the red zone because they, they only scored uh, two touchdowns um, in that game offensively. But, it and you know, but they were putting up points based off of, of how the game was going. And I didn't have a problem with it. Um but this game, it, it just, it looked like they at least had a counter, or Mike McCarthy at least had a counter to the plan that the Chargers had as opposed to the plan he had that the with the 49ers game. And I almost just feel like part of the issue that I see with the play calling is it's like McCarthy, in my mind, is kind of calling the game scared like he's coaching scared in my opinion and it's almost like he let the offseason talk from the media 
beating the drum of Dak Prescott's interceptions into his head, and it's affected how he's called the game. Um, I was really happy to see that they utilized C.D. Lamb. They went to C.D. Lamb early. They got him involved early. That was good because C.D., I mean, I, I, I think he can be a number one wide receiver. Like, he he definitely shows that he can be a number one wide receiver. But if if you wanted to talk about, I'm just gonna be real. In my mindset, do I see CD up there with like Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, even AJ Brown? Um, I'm just gonna be real. No, I just don't. Not yet. I think he can be that. I think he can easily be that because the talent is there. But his mindset, his mentality. To me, I got issues with, but it was good to see him target it. They need to target him. It's just plain and simple. Um, in terms of targets, he got seven. Uh, Brandon Cooks got four. Michael Gallup got ten. And I'm going to just say it. I got problems. I got problems with Michael Gallup, period. It's just, I'll, you know, let's just, just call it what it is. They shouldn't have paid him. He was coming off of ACL tear. That was crazy to me that they gave him a deal. Um, and I believe it's about, it's at least 58 guaranteed, I want to say. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a reasonable deal. It's not like it's, it's crazy for a wide receiver two. But the problem is, is I don't think Michael Gallup's a wide receiver number two. I think Michael Gallup is a wide receiver three. And you're paying him to be wide receiver two, and I just don't think he is. I think he shines when you have two clear-cut Wide receiver one, wide receiver two. Like when they had Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup was your third option, and I think that's the perfect spot for him. Um, ten targets was too much, and uh, the success was three for ten. And every team, single time they was throwing to him, it was just like he – it just wasn't right. It hasn't looked right all season. Uh, the play that really drove me crazy was when they got in the red zone and Dak – hit a beautiful through a dot between three Chargers defenders. Gallup in stride, perfect, going into the end zone. Even if, you know, ignoring the fact that he was being held, freaking refs didn't call that, which was driving me crazy. But he still, he it was right in his hands, and he dropped it. And it just, ugh. Like, that, that's the concept that burns me up. And then people will sit there and go, oh, Dick doesn't... He's not accurate. He doesn't hit people in stride. Well, that's the third time this season where I've seen he's hit receivers in stride, down the middle, in the end zone, in between defenders, and the receivers dropped it. Like, first it was the tight ends because first it was Hendershot in the uh, Giants game. Then it was uh, Schoonmaker versus the uh, Patriots. And it's just, it's, it's driving me nuts. Like, I can't, it's like, you got Gallup just dropping it. And so, I'm I'm all for, like, Jalen Tolbert getting more burn. But to me, it's like, if you want to target somebody 10 times, that's CeeDee Lamb. The next person that needs to get targeted the most is Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks got involved in this game. They used him. And I, I just, I don't think they understand how to use Brandon Cooks. I'm just going to be real. I don't think they he Brandon Cooks has so much speed, and his his role is downfield stretching stretching the field. It's like so it's like I don't think he fits in this West Coast short passing game. That's not his game to me. But anyway, uh, he got involved, and that was good to see. Like in terms of, I'm just gonna like 
go through this game because I could keep getting stopped down on subject, and then I kind of go with where I would like to see the Cowboys to work on during this bye week and what I would like to see the offense doing coming out of it. Um, this game, it was, it was like I had said before, it was a resilient game. Um, Dak really put this team on his back because for some reason, like whether you can say it was not getting help from the play calling or it was not getting help from the offensive line, uh, he really stepped up. And the thing that really sent me crazy was the first touchdown they scored where they got down to the red zone. It was a fourth and one, and they ran a read option. And for a second, because I've seen it all season long, and I think every Cowboys fan has been screaming for Dak to keep it on the read option because the defense does not believe he's going to run. I don't know if it's because it was almost to the point where we were like, there's no way he's reading the defender. It's a run all the way. Like they told him, do not pull it. Simply give it to the running back all the time because every game this season that I've seen them run it, I'm very confused as to why he won't keep it, especially in the red zone, why he wouldn't keep it. Because I'm like, if he keeps it, he walks into the end zone. And it was a fourth and one. And I thought for a second, I swore he handed it to Tony Pollard. And I was just like, you got to be freaking kidding me. But he didn't. He kept it. Now, granted, he almost fumbled it because I almost think Tony Pollard thought, yeah, there's no way he's pulling it because he never pulls it. And so it might have also fooled Tony Pollard. But Dak pulls it and walks into the end zone for 18 yards out, Um, which I was shocked to find out was his longest career touchdown run. Uh, Because I've seen him have big touchdown runs like I know his, he's he's had longer runs itself but um yeah he, he ran it from 18 yards that's his longest touchdown run um but that that got me fired up and I just if they could just utilize that more but he used his legs so much he ended up rushing seven times for 40 yards and the biggest plays came off of him running like the biggest play that set up the uh the um the touchdown to to put him up 17 to 10 was him about to get sacked. He scrambled away and then he, you know, saw Pollard wide open over the middle, hit Pollard. He spun out of a tackle and then took it 60 yards and, you know, to the 15. And then they ended up scoring a touchdown. That was the Brandon Cooks uh, touchdown, which was a thing of beauty because it looked like, if you look at the replay, it actually looks like it was a no-look pass from Dak, which was sick. Um... But it's just, the more he uses his legs, the more he moves, big plays he big plays happen. He can throw on the run. Dak can throw on the run, and he can throw deep. Like, those are two of the things that he does the best, in my opinion, and it's just more that we need to see from this offense. Nobody's saying you can't abandon the West Coast concepts or trying to get the ball out quick and be efficient, but he has to let teams know, hey, you can play man on me if you want to, or you can drop people back, and I'm going to take off, and I'm running. Like, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that you're not accounting for my ability to run. Nobody's saying he got to run 15, 20 times. You don't have to be Jalen Hurts. You don't have to be Lamar Jackson. But he he can run, and he needs to utilize his, his, uh, his, his legs to be able to take advantage of what defenses are, are doing and how they're playing them. So... Let's get into the defense. I want to talk about the defense. Um, first off, I need 
the Cowboys coaches to get in the refs' ears before the game because Michael Parsons, I swear, is being held every single play. It drives me crazy. I think every Cowboys fan that watches the games it drives them crazy. Like you can, you could call holding against whoever's blocking Michael Parsons. I think practically every passing down. Um, and the Chargers was driving me crazy because the pass rush was there. Like one of the things that I love that most fans have come around to is understanding that sacks aren't the end all be all. Like it's great to get sacks. You want to get sacks because that ends the play, but it's the pressure that really affects the quarterback. Like, because even if you don't get a sack, it's the pressure. Like, Justin Herbert did not play well, and part of the reason why he didn't play well was because the Cowboys had him under constant pressure. Like, you know, everybody was making a big deal. Like, oh, how did he miss Keenan Allen on these two, uh, you know, two bombs that those were touchdowns if he hits those, and this game is different. Well, he didn't do it because he was under constant pressure. He had to rush his throw, or he wasn't comfortable. He never was able to set his feet in a comfortable manner to be able to, to hit them. And that's because of the pressure. The Cowboys lead the league in pressure rate. And that's that's huge to me. Like, that's big. Like, you know, going into this season, I really firmly felt like the Cowboys had the best defense uh, in the league. Through six weeks, I would probably say they still got a top three defense. You know, some people were like, top three no lower than, than five. Like, there's no way I would ever say the Cowboys are not a top five defense. I still think they are a top three defense. But I would say the Cleveland Browns got the number one defense in the league right now. Without question, I, I'll give the Browns props. They they definitely got the number one. Um, if you wanted to argue, you could probably say San Fran is two. Uh, outside of that, I would put Dallas three. I know other people are like, what? I put Philly up there. I put Detroit. Yeah, I'm not putting Detroit up there yet. Um, Philly, I think Philly has a ridiculous front seven. I think Philly's front seven, you could argue Philly's front seven is the best in the league, period. Like, especially their their defensive line. Um, But their secondary is trash. I don't care. Their secondary is garbage. And, And you see it every time they play a decent quarterback. I just think their secondary is trash. That's why I have more fear. I have more fear of the 49ers than I do Philly, period. I just... I don't think they got a good secondary. Um, And that's why I think the Cowboys still have a top three defense. The loss to Trayvon Diggs to me was a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. Like, I had confidence in Deron Bland. I didn't have any issues with Deron Bland playing. I think Deron Bland is freaking great. And I think he's going to show everyone this year that he is great. Um, I think the Cowboys by far had the best corner tandem when it was Diggs. Uh, Gilmore and Bland so now you can definitely see how teams are going to attack Gilmore because I don't think Gilmore is bad by any stretch he is still good he still can play as he showed by closing out the game with the interception um, on Monday night but his physical ability like it's it's not like Talent, because he still has a talent, but his physical traits, especially the fact because he's, you know, on the other side of thirty, is is showing. Like he can't keep up with receivers on crossing routes now, and that's very clear. So it's clear how teams want to attack him in that way. Um, but I still feel like the Cowboys secondary 
can still play. You know, like, I, I still like the three safeties. I have problems with Hooker. I'm just going to be real. I, it, it's too many times where I see where he takes wrong angles or the safety should be there and he's not there. That troubles me. Curse is having a little bit of an up and down year, I'm going to be honest. Kittle had his lunch. Like, that was not a good game. Um, he did not have a good game in Arizona either. Um, Donovan Wilson, uh, he, I mean, like, they all had good games to me versus the Chargers, so I'll focus on that. But I do have a little bit of question marks there. Um, the players that really stood out to me in that Chargers game for the defense was Marquise Bell. Man, Marquise Bell's been killing it. Marquise Bell's been killing it from game one, in all honesty. He didn't play a lot in the Arizona game, and it kind of showed because uh, he, you know, he's he's in this safety slash linebacker hybrid role, a role that I think they wanted for the rookie DeMar- uh, DeMarvion Overshone from Texas, and it sucked so bad that he got hurt because he was flashing big time in the preseason. And in training camp, um, but Marquise Bell is taking advantage of the opportunity. He really has stepped up. Like he, I mean he he does what to me what the linebacker should be doing. Like part of the thing that drives me crazy, and I've been seeing it whenever I see the Cowboys struggling to stop the run, is I'm always like, well, where's the linebackers? Where's the linebackers? Because Jonathan Hankins, Mozzie Smith, Osa Adigizua, those defensive tackles, like they've been doing their job in occupying the blocks, and the linebackers have not been making the plays. And then you saw it on uh, Monday night where he's shooting the gap and, and hitting Eckler in the backfield, or he's meeting Eckler. Like he, you know, stopped him on a, a third and goal and, um, put him in fourth and going and grand they scored the next play but it's just he 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 shows up as a difference maker like him and Y.A. Thomas have been like huge surprises and I know it might sound crazy to be like but Donovan Wilson you paid him and he's back it's like I don't know, man. Like, when Wyatt Thomas and Marquise Bell are in the game together or playing more significant time, there is a clear difference to me in terms of how this team attacks the run. And I'm just saying, it they are balling. Uh, Damone Clark had a decent game. Um, I still think the Cowboys need linebacker. Like, I'm excited to see what Rashad Evans does. Um, that's someone that the Cowboys just picked up and um, probably – We'll see him coming out of the bye. But the defense did what they had to do, especially against, like, the thing that kills me is, like, people want to act like the Chargers. And this is what Cowboy fans are used to now. Whenever you beat uh, whoever the opponent is, oh, that team is bad now. That team is trash. Like, we are, like, I already know. Like, as soon as, you know, before they played the Giants, everybody was talking, oh, look out, Cowboys. Upset alert. The Giants had all these pieces. Then they beat the crap out of the Giants, and it's like, Oh, the Giants are terrible. They're not good. Okay, then you play the Jets. And even though they didn't have Aaron Rodgers, they were like, oh, well, you, you get to play Zach Wilson. What's the big deal? But they were still saying, well, this is a, an elite defense, top three defense. The Jets have a top three defense and this and that. Um, and then they beat them and they're like, oh, well, the Jets aren't that good. They're not good. And it's funny how they all say that when the Jets just beat the Eagles. But, okay. Um... <laughs> But they just I just know that regardless of what happens when the Cowboys beat somebody, they're going to downplay it. But the Chargers had a good offense. Like, they were averaging uh, 
24 points per game. Um, Kellen Moore, as much as I was very happy for him to go, Kellen Moore is a good offensive coordinator. I just don't think he's a good situational play caller. Um, that that was my biggest problem, especially after the, the playoff game versus the 49ers. But overall, I just think they have a decent offense and the Cowboys really shut them down. Like the only reason they even got that last touchdown was off of the crazy play where, uh, you know, the Cowboys was about to get the ball back being up 17 to 10 in the fourth quarter with not that much time left. And I just, I fully expected the Cowboys to get the ball back, move down there and increase their lead. But it was a crazy play where uh, Jalen Tolbert got pushed into Cavante Turpin. The refs completely missed the um, hands to the face face mask from the blocker because people were like, it wasn't a fair catch interference because it was a Cowboys player that was engaged with a blocker that pushed into his own man. Okay, fine. That's fair, even though I felt like if a person makes fair catch, you can't push a guy into the dude. I, but fine. You want to say he was engaged in a block and he got pushed in there. But how about the fact that dude was getting face masks while it happened? And then even the other part, he didn't even purposely touch the ball down, tip the Jalen Tolbert. If you see that you're the only one running to the ball and your teammates aren't running to the ball, then chances are you're good. You don't have to try to get the ball. But he didn't even purposely go get it. When you look at the replay, the Chargers guy pushes him down and he falls into the ball. So that's what happened. But anyway, that's how they got that touchdown. Um, but I love, like, this is the confidence that I have from this defense. Now, I wanted the offense to score a touchdown on the last drive. And um, Dak probably wish he had that throwback to uh, to Tony Pollard on 3-10. But it was a good ball. You know, again, it kind of drove me crazy how the refs were missing holding calls on Dallas receivers because that linebacker totally grabbed Tony Pollard before he broke away. And um, who knows if he doesn't slow Pollard up by like that half a second, he probably is in a better position to make that catch that Dak, uh, from the past that Dak threw. But when the Cowboys went up 20-17, to I felt like, okay, good. This defense is going to show up. Like the defense is going to show up. And next thing you know, it's, it's um, second and short. And Troy Aikman is just talking about, oh, I haven't heard Michael Parsons' name. And then, like, clockwork, boom, right on cue. Michael Parsons shoots two defenders, gets the sack, and then it's third and ten. Michael Parsons pressures Herbert again. He throws the pick to Gilmore. So, I, I just have a confidence from this defense. Like, in years past – if the Cowboys were up, I used to always be like, great, why did you score? You scored too fast. You left too much time on the clock. Now they go march down here. This offense go march down here and get the score. I don't feel like that with this defense. I feel like if the Cowboys have any lead and it's dependent upon the offense to drive the length of the field to try to get a touchdown or, or a field goal to win or tie, I feel like this defense is going to come up with a stop because I just that's, that's the confidence that I have in them. And that, that makes me feel good. So up next, we'll take a little break in the Cowboys talk and uh, t- do the segment, What Am I Watching? And then I'll be back with uh, Michael Parsons' comments that got the uh, 
the media is <laughs> all up in their feelings. The fake take media was all up in their feelings after Michael Carmen, uh, after Michael Parsons came for their head this week. You're listening to the Zero to One Hundred podcast. Okay, so it's been a while since I've done this. Uh, this is a segment I like to call "What Am I Watching," where I go over some of the stuff that I have been watching recently, currently, and uh, things that I've binged. So currently, <clears throat> what I'm watching right now is Loki season two. I have not watched episode three yet, and I know it's already been out. But I watched the first two episodes of season two. I absolutely loved it. Um, it is easily Disney Plus's, the Marvel Disney Plus best shows, in my opinion. Um, I just like I like the mystery that they're setting up. Uh, it like the first two episodes were very good, like you know, especially picking up right where season one left off, where you thought that after um, Sylvie killed He Who Remains, which was a Kang variant, that um, it put Loki in an alternate timeline, or it created the timeline where. He who remains was the one ahead of the TVA and not the timekeepers or the story that they were sold. And then you quickly find, spoiler alert, you find out that he's not actually in an alternate timeline, but he's actually in the past. And then he's like going between the past and the future and the present. It it, it can be very confusing, but it was also laying breadcrumbs for a, a deeper mystery for this season which I'm looking forward to um, but yeah the first two episodes I thought were really good uh, I haven't watched episode 3 yet and the reason I haven't is because the bad part about about it is that especially because I'm so used to binging stuff um, sometimes I want more than one episode to see <laughs> so I was like I'm not going to watch episode 3 yet until episode 4 drops on Thursday. I'm sorry. And, and I know I think it's only 6 episodes again. But I just, I don't know. I just want to stack a, at least 2 episodes before I watch it. Uh, just because that's how I feel. Um, but yeah, Loki has been really good. Tom Hiddleston is great. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny because he's... he's uh, Definitely a villain, and he's now like the anti-hero now. Um, but he really plays this character well, and it's you know from all that you thought was going to come from the end of season one with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it really didn't. You didn't see it connected really through. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home or Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness and you really didn't see the kind of connection until Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania where you had Jonathan Major's first portrayal as Kang the Conqueror and that like he was good and he was like you know and I've, I've talked about the Jonathan Major situation I'm, it, it's definitely died down um, I don't I'm glad Marvel kind of st- stuck with him and let things play out as opposed to just dropping him immediately before things were were um you know cleared up and and i think it still hasn't been cleared up officially uh his his case but um i'm glad that he's still on as a character and he's been playing it well so uh the other thing that i watched 
I finished Ahsoka, which was uh, the newest Star Wars series on Disney+. Plus. I enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. Uh, the season finale, though, was a little underwhelming for me. And, um, like, I would still rank it as my second favorite uh, Star Wars Disney Plus show. Number one being The Mandalorian. Ahsoka would be two. I would put uh, Obi-Wan as three. Uh, Andor at four. And Book of Boba Fett, five. And only reason being is because, like, I did not love Andor like everybody else did. Like, I thought Andor was good at the end. Like, when they finally got to the, the end of it, I thought it was good. I, it, it's a different tone, but it's almost like the overwhelming praise that it gets. Like, it's the best thing ever. It's the best Star Wars things ever. Uh, kind of made me push back on it because it's such a depressing show. And it's not, like, it's, like, the only reason why people rave about it is because it's so different. And it's different in terms of Star Wars. Like, it's almost like how I said in the latest episode when we were ranking the Marvel movies where Winter Soldier was just great because it was pretty much just an action movie starring Captain America. Or it was a spy story starring Captain America. And so, Andor is literally just a war story or a drama told in the Star Wars universe. And it's treated like a... Like Game of Thrones or something. Like it's it's treated like it's a. If you didn't say it was Star Wars, if you took those things out and then put the Star Wars label on it, like if you just said this was hey this was a World War Two show or something, it would people would probably be like oh this is a good drama. So it's like I know it's dumb to kind of knock it for that, but it's also it's slow. It really is slow too. Like the first couple of episodes, it is um it's a chore to get through. And that's why it's like I can't rank it that high when it feels like a chore to get through. And it really doesn't pick up really to me until like maybe episode five. Um, so, yeah, it's like if, if I had to do that to get to the good part, that's not good. And Book of Boba Fett was just it. it again, it wasn't bad. It just kind of was like. Eh, I guess Mandalorian is easily the best one and I know a lot of people didn't like season 3 but I also feel like it's just more so how like just like with the Marvel Cinematic Universe where it's like it was it started off so great or things were so great that now it's almost cool to bash it and that's what I feel like happened with the Mandalorian season 3 like I didn't think it was bad at all so um the other show that I finished was Only Murders in the Building, uh, season three, which that was another one where I saw some people being critical of this season saying it wasn't that good. I actually thought it was better than season two, which season two I thought was okay. I didn't think it was as good as season one. Like season one was great. Season two was just okay. And season three to me was an improvement. Um, yeah, because like the mystery I thought was decent. The, you know, it was so cool seeing like Paul Rudd this season and Meryl Streep. Um, the mystery I thought was good. It, you know, it's fun. I love that show. It's it's freaking hilarious. It's a good mystery show. I I highly enjoy it. 
I love how it ends with a murder that starts up with the central murder is going to be for the next season. So I'm looking forward to season four. Um, yeah, good show. Only murders in the building. Um, haven't seen haven't seen any decent movies yet. There's a number of movies that I do want to see. Haven't been able to really go to the movies like I wanted to. Um, so I don't have any movies to give brief recommendations or reviews of because I haven't seen any yet. And um, anime, I will say some of the anime that I've recently watched, which has been really good. I actually just binged season. Four and season five of Bungo Stray Dogs, which is just a dope show. I love that show. It's the yeah, that that's good. Um, I think I had even mentioned it before. Of course, uh, Demon Slayer, the Swordsmith Village arc, which was really really great. Enjoyed that. You can watch that now. Uh, I know Jujutsu Kaisen is back, and I'm trying to give it. One of the animes that I've fallen off on and I really need to get back on is um, uh, My Hero Academia, which I need to get back on. And I just started Netflix's One Piece, which everybody was raving about. I'll be honest with you, I like One Piece when I first, like when I was a kid, and <laughs> I was shocked to find out that it was still ongoing. Like it blew my mind that that anime is still going i think they're up to like 800 episodes now which is crazy because very similar to dragon ball z it feels like sometimes like conflicts last for like 10 to 15 episodes and you're like geez let's just get to it but one of the things i heard people raving about um one piece is how they condense things and they sped things up so that'd be a lot better so, uh, I've only watched the first episode. I was actually pleasantly surprised. Like, it wasn't crazy. Because I watched Netflix's Cowboy Bebop, which, live-action Bebop adaptation, which, um, man. Like, Cowboy Bebop is, like, one of my all-time favorite animes, period. So, I was excited. I thought John Cho was a really good Spike Spiegel. I'll, I'm not going to even try to... Remember the I know the the actor who played Jet Black, uh, his last name is Mustafa. Can't remember his first name right now. It's a terrible thing. I should have looked it up beforehand. But um, she, I mean, he was he was decent as Jet Black. Uh, Daniela Pineda, who played Faye Valentine, was terrible. Like she she wasn't terrible the whole way through. She got better towards the end of the show, but initially, man, she was woof. Brutal watch, but that was a brutal adaptation. It was not great. It was, it wasn't like awful. Um, and I was kind of like, you know, they changed the story a little bit, especially at the end. And I actually kind of dug the change just because the, just being real, like the ending of the Cowboy Bebop was so bittersweet. It's such a bittersweet ending to the show. Um, so I thought, well, maybe it, wouldn't be bittersweet. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was just, it was interesting. I, I really kind of liked the way they changed it. And, and that kind of gave me a little bit of hope. Um, but unfortunately, it did so poorly that Netflix just straight canceled it. So they're like, yeah, we're not going to even do any more seasons with it. Um, 
So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they actually pull One Piece off. I know it's already been renewed for season two, but um, excuse me. Yeah, so that's actually what I've been watching, and uh, I'm probably gonna have my brothers on so we can do just like we rated the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. We're gonna rate the Marvel. Cinematic Universe Disney Plus shows, which shouldn't be that difficult because one, there's not as many as the movies, and um, yeah, I just don't think it's going to be as challenging as, as before, but it, it should be fun, especially in terms of, because there's some shows that I think even my brothers haven't even really checked out, but we'll see. Uh, so up next, I'm going to play Michael Parsons' comments from his podcast that got <laughs> the fake take media all butthurt. <laughs> You're listening to the Zero to 100 podcast. I just don't condone the bashing of Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys and have the same energy for the Eagles. We want the same energy for everybody because there's a whole bunch of bashing when it's Dak Prescott, but not the same when it's the Eagles. I got time today. A lot of people said the Browns defense was overhyped. I said the Browns are the real deal. Acho said this, which pissed me off. I'm not worried about the 49ers. They were missing Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel. The Browns were missing Deshaun Watson, Nick Chubb. They were missing them key factors before the game even started. So why is it that we are just scrubs and we're nobodies that don't deserve to be on the field and we're just all talk? But there's a hundred excuses for these other these other teams. If y'all just want to hate Cowboys Nation, just say y'all hate Cowboys Nation. I'm tired of people trashing my quarterback. I'm tired of people trashing my team. And that's why I had nothing to say to the media this week. You want to hear me talk? Come to hear me talk on The Edge Monday night. And that's point blank period. So, yes, that was the comment from Michael Parsons on his podcast, The Edge. Um, and, and so <laughs> I want to start by saying this. For anyone that's questioned why are the Dallas Cowboys America's team, just take this past week as evidence as to why. The majority of sports shows that were on the fake take media's uh, outlets They spent at least the first two days after the Cowboys' uh, Monday night victory still talking about Dallas. And in particular, they were talking about those comments from uh, Michael Parsons. And um, it's just like, like, you know, Emmanuel Acho, he responded to it. And his response was, was, uh, you know, he was talking about how he was you know, trying to, to put, he was putting it in context because one, it was different how McCaffrey and Debo teams were lost during the game. And I'm sitting there like, yeah, that doesn't really address the fact that the Browns literally were out key pieces. Like they were out there without their starting quarterback. They, they, the 49ers lost to PJ Walker. Like PJ Walker was the dude that beat them. And, they didn't have Nick Chubb, and they didn't have one of their starting offensive linemen. It's, it's like before the game. So, anyway, it, it's just the point is, like, they totally missed the point that Michael Parsons was saying, which is keep that same energy. And Cowboy fans have been screaming it. We've been screaming it before the season started. And it's why, you know, Michael Parsons has entered this realm where the way they was coming at him – He's the villain now. And I say embrace it. Cowboy fans, embrace it. Like, 
most people, you either love the Cowboys or you hate them. Like, there's very few in between. Like, of course, there's people that's, like, in between or whatever. But you either love them or hate them. And I'm just like, look, if they want to hate, let them hate. Because I'm tired of it. Like, I'm tired of being, like, you know, like, uh, why are y'all treating the Cowboys? Why y'all talk about this? Why y'all do that? Like, nah, man. We, we get it. Like, we know the playbook. And what he's talking about is... The fact that the Eagles lost to the Jets and Zach Wilson, Jalen Hurts played terrible. He threw three interceptions, and nobody holds him to the standard or the scrutiny that Dak Prescott gets. And I get it because you play for the Cowboys. The Cowboys drive ratings. They are the most popular uh, team in the NFL. They get the most viewers. They, they always had the highest ratings. They are the most profitable franchise in the NFL. They're one of the most profitable sports franchises in the world, period. So it's like, but that doesn't mean just because they get that type of attention doesn't mean that they shouldn't be, like they should be overly criticized. Like attention and popularity has nothing to do with the actual talent on the team, and the expectations, like the reality is the Cowboys haven't won a Super Bowl or come close in 27 years. Yet, they are treated by the media as if they have a powerhouse team every single season going into the season. And that if they don't win the Super Bowl, then it's a huge failure because they had this powerhouse team. When it's only been more so recently that they've had successful teams. Like, it's like you almost forget... Like, I have rooted for the Cowboys pretty much, like, when I gained sports consciousness, and this is why I love them so much, and I, and, you know, my very first episode of this uh, this show, um, I explained why I was a Cowboys fan, so I'm not going to go into it here, but, like, I gained sports consciousness in 91, and that was right when Jimmy Johnson had finally turned the team around and they came back, and so... After the, you know, the end of the, the 90s era, you had the Dave Campo era, which I call the, the dark, or actually, I'm sorry, you had Chan Gailey, and um, all he did was go two straight playoffs, first round exits. Like, he really never did anything. And because of the high standard, Jerry Jones fired him after two seasons. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't have, because I don't think Chan Gailey should have been the guy he hired in the first place. But after that, then you had Dave Campo, which I called the Dark Ages because it was three straight years, 5-11, and 5-11, 5-11, and just awful teams, flat out awful. Like, you knew you weren't going to win anything. They, it, it's also why it drives me crazy with Cowboy fans that be bashing Dak Prescott because you must have not experienced the awful absolutely trash quarterbacks that we had during that time period. Quincy Carter was not a good quarterback. Freaking Drew Henson, who was a former baseball player, not a good quarterback. Chad Hutchinson, not a good quarterback. There was a point in time where freaking Clint Sterner was starting a game. They had a game on Thanksgiving that Ryan Leaf, yes, the bust Ryan Leaf, started a game for the Cowboys. So when I hear people be like, oh, Dak Prescott is this. Dog, shut up. You don't know what the F you talking about. You don't deserve them because you must have forgot the dark ages where we had freaking quarterbacks that 
Oh my god. Like it just anyway, it drives you crazy. But the point is you don't see full on segments dedicated to Jalen Hurts losing to the Jets and throwing three interceptions and playing poorly. Like he's throwing seven touchdown passes, seven interceptions. He threw all the seven interceptions last season. He's already at seven now. And nobody's talking about that. But they literally, ESPN was having segments talking about Dak Prescott's interceptions during training camp. During training camp. As Island Iverson would say, we talk about practice. Practice! And they were having six segments talking about his interceptions. And the thing that makes us that makes me mad and it makes most Cowboy fans mad is that if you want to go through the history of Dak Prescott, last year was the aberration. He does not throw a lot of interceptions. He doesn't. In fact, most people was 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 frustrated with Dak because they felt like he didn't take enough chances. He didn't try to throw into tight windows or tight coverage. He didn't try to throw people open. Like, he literally, that's what the knock was, is that he would, like, if a guy's not open, he wasn't throwing it. Like, if a guy wasn't butt naked open, he wasn't throwing it. That was the criticism. Then he stepped his game up, and I'd never forget, like, when they played Minnesota, this is under Jason Garrett it was a Sunday night game, they played Minnesota, and he was dealing he was dealing that night, and that's where I said, okay, yo, this dude can ball. And that's what made me mad because when the game came down on the line on a fourth and short and they handed the ball off to freaking Ezekiel Elliott instead of putting it in Dak's hand to win the game, that's ugh, that's why I hate Jason Garrett. Um, but the point is is that he can do it. And, like, you're not going to see the one year uh, before last year when he threw 37 touchdown passes, 10 interceptions. I'll take the 10 if you're going to give me 37 touchdowns. But last year, he threw 15 picks in 12 games, and everybody was, oh, he threw too many interceptions. But if you break down, and Kurt Warner did a great breakdown. There's a number of guys that did great breakdowns on his interceptions, all 15 of them. At least half of them weren't his fault. At least half of them. And most Cowboy fans know that, especially the ones that are – actual watching the game and objective about it. Like, balls hitting dudes in the hands, being bad, tipped up in the air. And it's just, but any other quarterback doesn't get the same scrutiny. Like, I'm sorry, they just don't. Like, first game of the season, Patrick Mahomes throws a, a pick six, even though he hit Kadarius Tony right in the hands, and everybody was quick to be like, how could that be an interception? He hit Kadarius Tony in the hands. Dak had at least four or five of those last year. The Jacksonville Jaguars game in overtime. He hits freaking Noah Brown right in the freaking hands. And Noah Brown lets it bounce off his chest. And it gets picked off and ran back for a touchdown. And everybody said, oh, look at that. Throwing that pick stick to end the game. It is just Mike McCarthy talked about it this week. He doesn't understand how Dak plays the way he does when he is clearly the most criticized and under a microscope quarterback in the league. And all Michael was saying is keep that same energy. You got a freaking first take with fake behind screaming A. Smith. Uh, you know, they did like a 10 minute like come like it was it was so wild to me. A 10 minute like dialogue of trying to push back on what Micah said. And the only one 
that literally was made sense was Molly Quarrel, where she was literally saying, like, he's just talking about the media being hypocrites. And we were, because we don't criticize other teams the way that we criticize the Cowboys. And they're like, oh, well, you, you got, that's the heat. That's what comes when you're a popular team. What? Like, Josh Allen does not get the same criticism. Justin Herbert does not get the same criticism. Joe Burrow does not get the same criticism. And that's that's where you just, like, keep that same energy. But it's just, that's the part that gets on my nerves. And that's the part that's frustrating. And I want to play this one clip from uh, Kimberly A. Martin on Get Up. Because, again, it's like she's making this comparison between Dak and Zach. Wilson, which makes zero sense, and I'm going to explain why. Um, and the best part is, like, you, you can look it up. You can go see it. It's easily readable, uh, ready to see on Twitter, or if you just Google uh, Kimberly Martin, um, you know, Dak Prescott comparison from Get Up. Uh, and the best part to me is, like, if you see the faces of the dude, especially uh, Dominique Foxworth, like, his look was like that was every Cowboys fan and not even just Cowboys fan, but that was just sports fans, period. Like when you hear somebody say a comment that makes no freaking sense and you like, this is a dumb comment. That is incredibly stupid. And he just puts his hand to his face like mm. like they all can be Mina Kimes. Mina Kimes is great. Like even when she's critical of other people and she's been critical of Dallas. But she provides context, and it makes sense. And it's not just like you're not just saying it because you're mad at the Cowboy fans blowing you up in on Twitter or, or attacking you on social media. Like, she just flat out does good work, and she's not about saying, I'm just going to say something outlandish so you can get attention. Like, the thing that Micah needs to understand is that, yes, be the villain, but also understand that when you attack people and you call people out by name like Emmanuel Acho, oh Emmanuel Acho was dancing, yo. He was he was giddy. Like you call him out directly, you just gave him his segment for the morning. Like that's that's what they want. They want the engagement. That's why they come out with the crazy takes. That's why they come out with the wild takes because they want that engagement. That's why I call them the fake take media because they simply want you to react it's the same thing as fox news like it they are fox news like that's it it's the exact same thing where doesn't matter if it's factual doesn't matter if it's true we just want to stoke your passions or stoke something and so we want to get and, and and that's why it's like i try not to share their clips too much because i'm just like you're giving them what they want uh, but I do, I just want to play this, and I want to explain why this was such a terrible and ridiculous take in comparison from Kimberly Martin from Get Up. That player mm -hmm. standpoint. Now, Dak Prescott right now is averaging 10.1 yards per completion. I'm like, oh, okay. Zach Wilson, 10 yards. They are practically the same. And when you are compared with Zach Wilson right now, that's not a good thing. And I understand that this is one game but it's about sustainability and what they said about what this offense would be in the offseason. Aggressive. I'll pretend I didn't hear the Zach Wilson comparison, but very quickly. You made a magnificent... What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response 
were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Yeah, I had to play that clip again. Just because, one, I absolutely love it. Uh, I'm sorry, Billy Madison. That was the best clip whenever I hear somebody say something crazy or stupid. And that's just why I say it. And um, the reason why I had such a problem with it, like, to compare... They were talking about the Cowboys offense. And, yes, the Cowboys offense is very conservative right now. But to take the yards per attempt stat, which is like every time Dak Prescott drops back to pass and the average yards per attempt, he's at 10.1, Zach Wilson's at 10. And she's like, they're virtually the same. Well, guess what? Patrick Mahomes that everybody says is the best quarterback in the league, and he is. He's the goal. He's like he is the the upper tier, truly elite. He, you know, when Brady retired, bam, Mahomes stepped into the slot as the best quarterback in the league. His average per attempt is ten point four. That's point three. That's so you had Zach Wilson at ten, Dak Prescott ten point one. Patrick Mahomes 10.4. So I guess Patrick Mahomes, Zach Wilson, they're practically the same. <laughs> According to Kimberly Barton. Like, that's just, it's dumb. It's not even a good, like, to try to sit there and say, oh, this offense and, and Dak Prescott, is, like, if you're being compared to, to Zach Wilson, that's not good. Well, you could, that's a terrible stat to use to try to compare them. Like, it just is. It's flat out ridiculous. And, it, and it's just, like, but it's stuff like that that makes no sense. Because the the other thing that, that is so wild to me is outside of the Miami Dolphins, like, that's a truly elite-looking offense. Um, but scoring league-wide is down. Like, that's just, a, like, that's facts. Like, you can look that up. Statistically, scoring average is down across the board in the league. And... It's just, but, like, it's just wild to me. It's wild to me the criticism that this team gets. And I'm just saying, as a fan, as Micah is doing, like, let's just be the villain. Let's go. Y'all want to play that game? Let's play that game. Because I love it. I just think the no F's attitude is what I need. And I and I love the fact that that is, like, pushing back. Because to me, it's like enough is enough. Um... So at this point, I do want to get in a little bit into what I hope to see for the Cowboys offense coming off of the bye because I think the defense is going to be fine, especially like it sucks Vanderish not being there, but if you tell me I'm getting more Marquise Bell, I'm good. And if Rashad, excuse me, Rashad Evans steps in and does what I'm hearing other people say he can do, okay, let's go. So in terms of the offense, um, I just like, Let's start with who should be targeted and who should be utilized. In the passing game, number one targets need to be C.D. Lamb. Number two option, Brandon Cooks. Let's start there. I'm like I've made my feelings be known on Gallup. Number three, and I'm telling you right now, like you know, some people say, "Oh, Turpin Tolbert." Number three needs to be Jake Ferguson, man. Jake Ferguson 
Jake Ferguson is part of the reason why I had zero issues with Dalton Schultz being let go, like being able to walk and get his free agent contract because I did not want Dallas paying him. Um, because Jake Ferguson is there. Like the the best game he had was the Patriots game where they were seven for seven. He had over seventy yards receiving. Um, it just like. He can catch. Like, he's easily the best catching tight end on this team right now. Um, it frustrates me because I'm like, how about those seam plays to that went to Hendershot and Schoonmaker? How about you throw run Ferguson on that? Because I'm pretty certain they were ending the touchdowns as opposed to drops. Um, and I just think he should get the third mile targets. Like, it drove me crazy in the San Fran game that they ran a play where he shook Fred Warner and – they never went back to it. Like they don't target him, and I don't, I don't quite get it. He and he gets open, like he does get open. And I and I'm not trying to say like, cause, cause um one of the Cowboys content creators, uh, Vach Lombardi, had pointed out something that I thought was so good, where he was saying, I can't stand when these dudes on Twitter will take an all 22 still shot and show like highlight one player and be like, oh he's open, and Dak didn't see him. Like when he's one, Dak is under duress, and that that all twenty two shot is not what the quarterback sees. So it's just like it's just dumb. Um, but yeah, there's times where you see Ferguson get open, and and so, but I don't know if that's it's drawn up. That's not the first read, or Dak's under duress. But I think Ferguson needs to be the number three target. After him, I would say. Tony Pollard, man. Tony Pollard can catch. And Tony Pollard needs to be used in space. He is not a bell cow. He is not less. I mean, he can run in between the tackles. He can run in between the tackles. But to me, Tony Pollard needs to be where you get him the ball in space. Like in a Monday night game, Dex saw him. He got him the ball in space. He made a dude. He, he spun out of a tackle. And then he was going for 60. Like, get him the ball in space, and Tony Pollard will make plays. I just, it's like, you know, the other thing that nobody seems to talk about, and I think it's affecting how McCarthy is calling these games, is the play of the offensive line. Now, the starting offensive line, the five starting offensive line, have literally only played together in two games. They didn't play in the preseason together. They didn't play in training camp together because Zach Martin was holding out. Um, so Ty, Tyler Smith was hurt the first couple games of this season. When you thought you was going to get everybody back for the Arizona game, you had three starters out. Tyron, Tyler Biotish, Zach Martin. And so the first game that they all played together was the San Francisco game. Second game was the Chargers game. So... It and Dak was under pressure all night on Monday night, and their run blocking was not good. Uh, the run blocking really hasn't been good all season, so I'm hoping that they clean that up. And I just hope that McCarthy he admitted pretty much after the Arizona game when he had the three offensive linemen out that he was calling a different game and not being attacking because he was trying to protect his line. You gotta let that go, bro. You just gotta like, and you gotta trust your quarterback to. Be able to, hey, if the protection is breaking down, he'll use his legs. He'll get out of trouble at times. Now, 
it's it's a luxury to have it. You don't want to always be like, oh, well, because sometimes he's not going to get away. But I think you have to trust your quarterback can get away so you call these plays and, and where you attack the defense. Like you, it's, That's the biggest thing that, that I'm frustrated with the offense is that they feel like they're, they haven't been attacking. Um, and so, and then the other thing is like when they get in the red zone, use that legs, man, like use his legs to like, he's not, I don't need him running the ball 15, 12, 12 times or anything, but sprinkle it in like three to four design runs or especially in the red zone. Give defenses a question like, well, oh, is it Dak? Or even if they hesitate because they think Dak might keep it, then maybe Tony Pollard does get free. Like, those those are, like, that's the things that I really want to see from this offense. And I want to see Turpin more involved in the passing game and Tolbert more involved. Tolbert, to me, he looked good in the preseason. I heard good reports from training camp. He deserves an opportunity especially because Gallup, the connection with Gallup just ain't there. It's just not there. Um, they made a huge mistake letting Amari Cooper go, especially when you see Amari Cooper killing the 49ers cornerbacks. <sighs> but anyway, I'm not even going to get into that. That's a topic for another thing. Um, with the trade deadline coming up at the end of this month, I look, I don't expect the Cowboys to do anything. I know there's rumors out there now, like there's – Rumors about Devontae Adams wanting to be traded. And, of course, every Cowboys fan is like, oh, yeah, put Devontae Adams on this team. Man, I would love it, but that's never going to happen. Um, <laughs> you know, like, so let, let me just say this. Pipe dream trades that I would go over the moon, and I know the Cowboys would be Super Bowl, like, front runners if they made these moves. Devontae Adams, yes, sign me up, but it's not going to happen. Uh, Patrick Sertan uh, Jr. from the Denver Broncos. Dog, listen. The way the Broncos are cratering, I'm praying. And they don't have any first-round picks right now because of the Russell Wilson trade. I'm praying, they say. Because I would give up easily a first and a second, and I darn well may give up two firsts for Patrick Sertan. But the reality is the Broncos aren't going to trade him because he's a lockdown corner. And it would be a dream to have Patrick Sertan on this team because that fills the digs hole. You would put Bland back in the slot where J. Lou would be backing him up. J. Lou's not bad, but he's not that good. He's not as good as Deron Bland. He's just not, even in the slot. Um, and then so I would have Sertan, Gilmore, and Bland. Or, let's just be real, you could have Sertan and Bland. <laughs> Gilmore is the third. Uh, either way, I just feel better if if they did it, but it's not going to happen. So I'm going to let that dream go. Um, and I'm trying to think unrealistic trade. Brian Burns from the Panthers. That's another one that I would love defensive end. So realistically, if, if there's a position that I want the Cowboys to, to add to the team, it would be cornerback, linebacker, offensive line. Like, maybe, like, because I'll be real. Tyler Smith is good. Tyron Smith is going to get hurt again. Uh, And while I have some faith in the backups, I just feel like adding some offensive line depth would be nice. But uh, there is a rumor out there that uh, 
the Cowboys are having talks with Zach Ertz, but Brian Broaddus said that he hadn't. He he believes that's not true. At least that's what he's been told. Um, so I I can see that being a move that the Cowboys did though, like because like before the deadline last year they made the move for Jonathan Hankins and at the time everybody was like oh what's the big deal but Jonathan Hankins was a difference maker especially in the run game that's why I was happy when they re-signed him in the offseason so if there is a move that would be made it would probably be something like that like it would probably be like somebody that you who had like you know maybe his best days are gone or um it's like a minor move and it doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but it could have an impact. Like uh, one of the other names out there that I do think is a possibility. Again, I don't know if it's going to happen, but Hunter Renfro was a really good slot receiver from the uh, Raiders. That's a move that I could be down with. I think that would help the offense, especially because he, I think he would fit perfectly with a West Coast scheme. Um, and that, like. You know, I'll try to do a little bit more digging to see with some realistic names out there. But I don't, like, I would be shocked. I would be absolutely positively shocked if the Cowboys went all in. Like, one of the names that I wish they would also go in on and I think is a possibility is Jalen Johnson, the cornerback from the Bears. Like, Sertan, that's not even realistic. But that's somebody that I would be down with. Um... Another name that would be potential, and again, this is a realistic move that I think could happen, is Kyir Elam from the Buffalo Bills. He's been like a healthy scratch. He was one of their uh, second-round picks, I believe, the year before, and he just hasn't been able to get on the field. And it's, and um, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Like even with uh, them losing, um, like their starting uh, corner, it's just. It's 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 a little weird that he hasn't been able to get on the field, but maybe we can see something from there. Um, that's that's another realistic move. Uh, a couple of linebacker names that I've seen that could be potential targets. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's gonna be a major move. I would love to be wrong, man. I would love to see Jerry Jones say blanket. Let's go for it and make a big splash and try to get somebody off of a struggling team to to really push this team over the top somewhere. Because, like, for example, like, if they added another pass rusher, to so it's like you would be able to play Micah a little bit more off the ball and then put him back in on third downs at the end of the game so he can make game-closing-out plays like he did on Monday night. That would be my dream. So... That's the Cowboys talk. Uh, You're listening to the 0 to 100 podcast. Let's wrap it up. So thanks for listening to the 0 to 100 podcast. That's going to do it. Uh, Next episode, like I said, hopefully I'll be able to get in touch with my uh, usual cohorts and have them participate. Uh, Definitely will link up with my brother so we can start our review uh, our rankings of the Disney Plus Marvel shows. Uh, I'll probably have some reaction to the NFL weekend. I, I know it's a big game Sunday night, the Eagles versus the Dolphins. I do think the Dolphins are going to win, and that means the Eagles will have two losses uh, when the Cowboys coming off the bye with a chance to 
to tie them at five and two. Um, like the Eagles had a brutal, brutal schedule starting this week because they had the Dolphins on Sunday night, then they got at the Commanders in Washington, then they get Dallas, which is the game that I am. Oh man, I can't wait for that game. I'm so fired up for that game. It doesn't make any sense. Um, November 5th, they had Dallas, and then after Dallas, they have the, uh, I want to say it's the Chiefs. Yes, they have the Chiefs, then following the Chiefs, they have the Buffalo Bills, and um, they're at home for the Bills. They're actually on the road against the Chiefs, and that's, um, so then they have, after the Bills, they get the 49ers. And then right after the 49ers, they get the Cowboys on Sunday night. And so that's that's brutal. Oh, and just to, to wrap it up, uh, they get the Seahawks on the road after the Cowboys on Sunday night. So that's a brutal stretch. Like, I'm, the Eagles have not looked great, which is why, again, I'm very excited for the Cowboys the rest of the way. Uh, and, and why the measuring stick to me is really San Francisco. Like, I'm sorry, I'm just, I know the Eagles are the defending NFC champ, but their offense has not looked good. Uh, teams have looked like they have caught up to figuring out Jalen Hurts. Um, their defense is still decent, like, but like I said, their secondary is not great. Um, so yeah, they got a brutal stretch. And I know the Cowboys' December is also brutal. Uh, you know, and people will be like, you know, they'll come out and say, well, the Cowboys have just as brutal of a stretch themselves. And I just, it, it's, it's brutal, but it's not, it's a brutal December. Like, they got a couple, like, the Cowboys have a couple of decent games. Like, the, you know, the Rams, and I'll preview the Cowboys-Rams in my next episode because uh, I'll try to get it out before that game. But, yeah, the Rams aren't going to be a cakewalk, but that's at least at home, and it's at least coming off of a bye. But, yeah, the Cow after the Cowboys play the Eagles on November 5th, they get the Giants and then the Panthers and then the Commanders. But, you know, on, thanks on Thanksgiving. And so, and then they get the Seahawks at home on Thursday night. So, after that, now December, again, it is brutal, but they get the Eagles on Sunday night. But, again, that's the Eagles coming off of the 49ers and you know the Cowboys beating the the Cowboys beating the Chargers have made teams that have played the 49ers like their record the last couple years after playing the 49ers is like 2 and 19. The teams are 2 and 19 after playing the 49ers. So usually the game is so physical they're beat up and then the next game they they end up losing because of the physical nature of that game. So um you get the Eagles coming after the 49ers and then they gotta go to Buffalo. That's gonna be a brutal game. And then they get the Dolphins on Christmas Eve in Miami. That offense is the best offense in the league right now. So we're really gonna see what this Cowboys defense is. And then after the Dolphins, you got the Lions at home on December 30th. So December is no joke. Like, you know, especially, yeah, after Thanksgiving, after the like Seahawks are, are good. I'm not gonna sit there and say the Seahawks are a bad team, but I feel good about that. I'm not 
overly stressed about that game. But yeah, December you got Eagles, Bills, Dolphins, Lions. That's the toughest stretch. That four game stretch right there. And I'm gonna be real, if the Cowboys come out of that stretch three and one, let's go. Like let's go. Like I, I feel good about this team, man. I really do. And especially if they fix the offense coming off of this bye. So got that to look forward to. Uh, let us know what you think. Email the show at 0to100pod at gmail.com. That's the number 0-T-O, the number 100-P-O-D at gmail.com. Also, make sure you follow me on the socials at WCWPoet uh, on Twitter, Threads, and Spill. And let me know what you think. This has been the 0-to100 Podcast, episode 109. Become the villain. We out.